Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that I refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for November the 16th. In the year of our Lord, 2021, this is our one of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America. That is our guide. And absolutely, we're convinced that checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers, one of the great restorative solutions we still have at our fingertips. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. A quick recap of yesterday's show, then an incredible guest straight ahead on your radio. We had on Lowell Nelson Campaign for Liberty.org, Ron Paul Institute.org, doing a phenomenal job. We talked about our website, callforcivility.com. Uh, we talked about the welcome, the mission statement, and the pledge. Sign your pledge today. Donate if you have the heart to help with the call for civility. We talked about the rules of civility. George Washington as kind of the pretext for the discussion. We talked about Biden gas pump stickers. I did that. Trend goes viral. They're putting stickers all over the country on gas pumps, on store shelves. Uh, and it's Biden. Picture of Biden pointing at the gas or whatever price we're talking about and saying, hey, I did that, meaning, hey, I caused all the prices to rise. The problem that I have with it is you don't have the right to violate people's private property. It's my gas station. It's my store shelf if I own the store or the gas station. You have no right to put stickers and defile my property, ladies and gentlemen. I submit to you that it's not good. It's the latest after the Let's Go Brandon meme, the Kamala's a whore agenda. They're also um, literally promoting this agenda that I believe is no good, folks. Private property matters. We also talked about in the Utah State Legislature. They approved SB 2004. This bill provides for religious, medical, and personal exemptions for the COVID-19 mandate. It also forces an employer not to keep records, the status of a person's vaccination records. So it's pretty good news. There's some exceptions. Uh, It's not far enough, but it's a good start. We also talked about Austria borders absolutely locked down for the unvaccinated. They're going to be carrying out spot checks, cops in the streets. I mean, we're talking third world nation stuff. It's crazy town. We also talked about letter from Lowell Nelson's employer um, encouraging him to be vaccinated, even though there's a stay by multiple courts on the topic. And um, so he says, hey, I've, I've been pushing back against my employer big time. We also talked about the Fifth Circuit Court upholds decision to halt Biden's mandate. So time will tell on that. We talked about Federalist Paper 46, revisited. We're talking about the reality check of nullification. States need to quit going to the courts. They need to nullify now. We also talked about COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness. Declines precipitously. An incredible article written by Ron Paul. We talked about the CDC director, um, Walensky, has been telling us since August that the shots do not prevent infection from the virus and does not prevent transmission of the virus. So the vaccine literally isn't even a vaccine according to the uh, normal term. They've changed the term of what vaccine means where they've excluded the term immunity from that. So we know the vaccines aren't really safe or effective or anything else. The CDC also says there is no record of natural immunity 
naturally immune people transmitting COVID-19. So you get the vaccine, and there's a lot of cases in the transmitting COVID-19. But if you have natural immunity, you're not transmitting COVID-19, ladies and gentlemen. That's important to understand. Feds can't enforce vaccine mandates without a lot of help, ladies and gentlemen. So we hold the cards if we, the people, will stand together. That's really important. We also talked about the former Green Beret. He's a veteran. His name is Jeremy Brown. He's a January 6th Capitol prisoner. He announces he's going on a hunger strike. He says he's been wronged. He got put in prison. He never even went into the Capitol, ladies and gentlemen, but he's in jail. He's going on a hunger strike, and uh, his claim is because the FBI tried to get him to be an agent provocateur, and he refused and blew the whistle on them. That's why they're making him such a political prisoner. Our prayers are with Jeremy. Number of U.S. workers voluntarily leaving their jobs in August and September have reached an all-time high. Yeah, people are just sick of it. They want you to believe the vaccine mandate has nothing to do with it. Nice try. Almost got me. Is this the fifth COVID-19 wave? Experts fear we may just simply start to call it winter. Yeah, experts say the latest surge is probably here to stay. We're going to have the cocoa every winter, just like the flu and uh, the cold and everything else they're now claiming. Vermont, believe it or not, has one of the highest vaccination rates in the nation. And it's experiencing a surge, even though they've got more vaccinated people than anywhere else in the country. How long will the second and third doses of vaccines work? Well, they don't know. They say it's a, it's an open question with no data available yet. So how do they know the vaccine is safe and effective if they don't know how long it'll last? Well, it's really safe and effective for at least an hour if you don't die first. Crazy town, folks. Absolutely crazy. They flat out tell you they don't have the data, and then they lie and run around and act like it's safe and effective. Then they tell you we don't even know. Oklahoma Governor to Biden, no vaccine mandate for our troops. Well, I pray the governor has enough guts uh, to push back. we got to nullify now, folks. That's a recap of the broadcast that took place yesterday. Hard-hitting talk at your fingertips always. LibertyRoundTable.com, LovingLiberty.net, spread the word. Download the iPhone and Android apps, live and on-demand radio at your fingertips. Feedback loop where we can hear from you what you think. Donation capabilities, we always could use the donations and the support for the Widow's Might Radio Networks. Uh, And best of all, you can follow the Twitter feed and keep an eye on some of the things we're tweeting about. In addition to incredible talk radio around the clock, lovingliberty.net, spread the word, tell the tale. James Edwards, well-known talk show host in his own right, uh, author of the book called Racism Schmacism, uh, does an award-winning broadcast every Saturday night called The Political Cesspool. James, welcome back to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Sam, it's great to be here, and there is so much to talk about. Where should we begin? Well, let's begin by saying it's amazing to me that you got the, what do you want to call it, Unite the Right Charlottesville trial happening right now. Uh, you got the, um, oh, what's that kid's name that, that, that shot everybody, supposedly? Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse trial going on. You got a trial in Georgia going on. You just finished an Alex Jones trial. They're attacking him over the Sandy Hook reporting, and those trials are culminating. Uh, you've got all kinds of um, events that have happened over the last several years, but they're all culminating and being executed right now or carried out right now before Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's it's really an attack on, uh, they would say, some would say the white nationalists, others would say Christians everywhere, others would say truth tellers. I mean, it's a, an attack on us all, sir. Let's start there. 
We talked about this last night on the phone, Sam, you and I did, uh, and what you're talking about is the situation in Charlottesville where you have this civil trial as a result of the incident on August the 12th, 2017, what is called the Unite the Right rally. You have the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, quite famously, up there in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then, of course, uh, a little bit lesser known, uh, but also getting a lot of attention, is the trial of the three men in Georgia who shot Ahmad Arbery. Uh, all three of those incidents happened in different states at different times and in different years, but they all went to trial literally the same week. It's it's amazing. I don't know what's going on there, but it's certainly uh, noteworthy. Now, I only have two eyes and two ears just like everyone else, and so I have zeroed in. Any one of these three trials would quite uh, rightly dominate coverage on my show and, uh, of course, uh, demand a substantial amount of coverage on your show as well as they have because they're all important in different ways. Obviously, the right to defend yourself and the situation with Rittenhouse uh, when under attack. Do you have that right if you're not standing in the threshold of your own home? That's a big question. Uh, and in Charlottesville, obviously, the right to assemble, uh, the right to free speech, uh, the right to legally obtain a permit to hold a demonstration at a public park, uh, this is something that's all coming under fire, and so for different reasons, these are all very important cases. But I have zeroed in on the Charlottesville trial uh, because I know some of the people involved, uh, and that was something that we covered quite heavily. We didn't organize it. We didn't have a hand in the uh, in the uh, planning or the participation of it, but we did cover it extensively, and we've been cited in books and in other articles uh, as a result of our coverage. So I have paid a keen interest to that, and we'll I could uh, in, break in it down for you and your audience. And just- in great detail, we'll drone into that in just a second, but I want to really highlight, though, the Alex Jones uh, fiasco right now going on about his yeah. free speech and his right to report and say what he thinks and wants. Uh, you've got the um, January 6th fiasco battle still going on, still being uh, covered um, immensely. We've been covering that in great detail. There's so many issues, and here's what's interesting. Every one of them literally relates to all five of your First Amendment guarantees, ladies and gentlemen. And this is all culminating at the same time when Joe Biden wants you to shut up uh, and take his vaccination, when Facebook and Twitter are shutting everybody down, when, you know what, do you believe that there was fraud in the election? Do you believe that the vaccine um, mandate is overreach? Do you, all these free speech things in question, and every one of them they're backing into violating other rights, whether it be your right to defend yourself, you're right to keep and bear arms. By the way, there's those cases weaving their way through the courts right now as well. So there is so much being thrown against us. It is shocking. And when we talk about the Charlottesville rally and Unite the Right trial, uh, here's the interesting thing. There's a group that filed a lawsuit. I guess it's called the, non, um, what's it called? The Nonprofit Integrity First for America. Nonprofit. You know, these nonprofits are anything America. but poor, though. They, they're they anything well, we'll, but poor. They may be nonprofit, but this. they've raised between 15 and $20 million to prosecute these people. But here's Much what I find talk fascinating. About, sure. Donald Trump's been the guy talking about America first, and everybody's mocked him for that. Now they got a nonprofit with $20 million that's America first kind of an idea? What's going on around here? We'll talk about it with James Edwards in seconds on your radio. The 
Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit legal foundation committed to protecting our unalienable right to publicly acknowledge God. The Foundation for Moral Law exists to restore the knowledge of God in law and government and to acknowledge and defend the truth that man is endowed with rights not by our fellow man, but by God. The Foundation maintains a twofold focus. First, litigation within state and federal courts. Second, education conducting seminars to teach the necessity and importance of acknowledging God in law and government. How can you help? Please make a tax-deductible contribution, allowing Foundation attorneys to continue the fight. You may also purchase various Foundation products as well at morallaw.org. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, the Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3 founded by Judge Roy Moore. Please partner with us to achieve this important mission, morallaw.org. The spirit of the American West is live and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues affecting the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like the 2021 Real Buckaroo Calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Well, my mom smokes and my dad smokes, and I saw them smoking, so I tried it. They're telling me not to smoke, but they smoke themselves. When it comes to smoking, are you sending mixed signals? But when you teach someone a certain way to do things, and you go back on that certain way, it sends mixed signals to the person that they're trying to teach. The parents need to be the example. Smoking. If you think you're old enough to start, you're smart enough to stop. A public service message from this station and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. I've got James Edwards with me, ladies and gentlemen, well-known talk host, thepoliticalcesspool.org, incredible reporter in this case. We're talking about the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally and subsequent trial, ladies and gentlemen. Believe it or not, the suit was brought by the nonprofit organization, which has a lot of money, though, called Integrity First for America. Now, I find it interesting. They've got kind of this America First idea in their name, but they couldn't be more opposite from Trump if they tried. Uh, But where does all their money come from? James, who are these people? Well, this is a left-wing activist group, basically, uh, and they have done a lot of fundraising. As a matter of fact, you can go and you can see ads uh, where they are raising money, matching funds up to $200,000 for each individual or organization uh, that will help them hashtag sue a Nazi. And they have even said, and this is something interesting uh, that has come out. I have listened. You, there's a teleconference line that you can call into and it puts you right inside the courtroom this uh, unlike the Rittenhouse trial is not being uh, broadcast uh, in any way shape or form but there is a call in line uh, obsessively for press but it's public so if you get the number anybody can call in you could call in your listeners could call in and you listen to it and one of the things I've learned in listening to this trial every day it's now in its fourth week is that the Plaintiff's attorneys refuse to enter into mediation. So normally what you would do, this is a civil lawsuit, which is different than criminal lawsuit. Nobody's going to go to jail here, but they could be ruined financially for multi-generations. This could be, you could get some sort of a judgment that would just ruin your family for generations to come. I mean, some crazy runaway jury type um, 
billion dollar judgment for the pain and suffering these uh, uh, plaintiffs uh, supposedly suffered. But the uh, the group bringing this lawsuit would not enter into negotiations for settlements. You were supposed to do that before going to court, and they refused to do that. They refused to do that, saying, we don't negotiate with Nazis. Well, of course, it's very much the typical exaggeration to say that people who went to Charlottesville, Virginia, to defend the monument of Robert E. Lee, a great Christian, uh, in my opinion, the greatest American, I call him that, a uh, little bit of a stretch to say that everybody that was there was a Nazi, but that's what they're going with. This reeks of a slap lawsuit, S-L-A-P-P. That's called a strategic lawsuit against public participation. And it refers to a lawsuit that's filed in retaliation for speaking out on a public issue or controversy. And so the, the purpose of this is to intimidate uh, to censor, to silence critics by burdening them with the cost of a legal defense until they abandon their criticism or opposition. So that's what's going on here. Uh, the goals uh, are for the co-defendants, and there are 24 different individuals and organizations that are co-defendants in the Charlottesville suit. They want them to succumb to fear, intimidation, mounting legal costs, or simple exhaustion. Uh, so that's what we've got here, and there's some questions to the legality of that. I think that if the plaintiff's attorneys were really concerned with their plaintiffs, and it's a big case, okay, so there's about a dozen co-plaintiffs and about 24 co-defendants. A lot of these co-defendants never met with each other. They never spoke with each other. They never even knew each other until after the fact. They just so happened to all be there at that day and time on August the 12th, 2017 at the Unite the Right rally. Uh, but the allegation is that they conspired together, even though they didn't know one another or speak to one another. They all conspired together uh, for there to be racial violence, that they went there with the express intent of engaging in racial violence, which I think is absurd. Now, if uh, if, though. The we mentioned the slap lawsuit and, and, and what I think is really going on here, this uh, they would not negotiate. Uh, they want, and they've even said, we're going to shut down these individuals and these organizations. So that's what the plaintiff's attorneys are up to. If they really cared for their plaintiffs, there is no doubt that some of the plaintiffs were injured on that day. Uh, you know, again, emotional damages, that's a whole different can of worms. Some of them were, though, physically uh, injured. And I think if the plaintiff's attorneys really cared for their plaintiffs, uh, they would have gone after the people truly responsible for the violence that day, and that is the city of Charlottesville. That is the state of Virginia. That is Governor Terry McAuliffe. That is the police of uh, uh, the Department of Charlottesville who were told to stand down, who ensured that there would be violence where you have these two conflicting and hostile groups. Uh, that are being put in the same place at the same time. It, we have seen video after video, Sam, of the police standing there watching a melee completely begin and uh, and take place over the course of a couple of hours. They did, did nothing, no no arrest. You just the police just stood there and watched as people are literally getting beaten and getting hit with projectiles uh, and and feces and urine. It was the most I've never seen anything like it. Police just completely not doing their job. Uh, that suit clear, should have been sued. Uh, not only did the police not do their job, but they literally set things up to force the two crowds together, to literally force one crowd even to extract themselves from the melee, to literally go through the other crowd to get free. In other words, it was more than just idly standing by, James. 
Well, that's absolutely right. They, they, they did insure it. Now, you got to remember, now say what you will about the Unite the Right participants. And again, if you have 5,000 people there, there's going to be some people. And this was what Trump famously said. There was good people on both sides. Uh, I don't know how many good people were on the other side, but I know that there were some good people amongst the, the people who have been cast as the villains in this uh, in this play, and that's the Unite the Right participants, because I know some of them. And I, yeah, there, there's a book written about this, and we've talked about it. Um, and you talk about mothers and, and people going up there thinking that they would go and, and go to a pro-Southern rally and then go play golf afterwards. I mean, nobody expected this. But uh, I will say, too, though, that uh, what's going on in court is the real lack of any evidence of a conspiracy. When you think of a conspiracy, you think of people, you think of people, well, conspiring together, maybe in a smoke-filled room or at least talking with one another, not people that never even knew one another. I mean, how does that work? But what the... Plaintiff's attorneys have been effective in doing, and I must say this, is they have gotten a lot of really reckless and immature comments that some of the co-defendants, some, not all, uh, have said to one another or said uh, on different podcasts or on message forms where they're basically shooting their mouths off and uh, they're saying some things uh, that that are certainly violent in nature. Now, does that prove that there was a conspiracy? No, I mean, that's just tough talk. I mean, people talk tough. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, you say, man, I hope they die or I could kill them. Well, of course you don't mean it. But And, and there are, there is a, uh, a case precedent that went to the Supreme Court that defends even this as, as freedom of speech and, and certainly not something that actionable but it does go back to the to the old saying don't say anything whether it's jokingly or not and, and we certainly would hope it would be uh, but don't say anything in, in in the privacy of your own home in public or anywhere uh, that you don't want read back to you in court so i think that the plaintiff's attorneys have been successful in at least muddying the waters with the jury uh, by having some of these random statements be read that aha see we told you they went there to commit violence even though of course I'm sure that the other side said all of that uh, and worse, and, and, and we'll find out when the defense is able to mount this case. Uh, to give you uh, just a little bit of perspective on the timing of all of this, so the Kyle Rittenhouse case is already in closing arguments, and it, it started a little bit after the Charlottesville uh, case uh, trial began. The Charlottesville trial is now in its fourth week, and the prosecution is still <laughs> laying out the facts and the facts are or their facts or their what they're bringing to the table is uh, a bunch of irreverent comments so the defense will get to to well mount a defense and that is supposed to start today or tomorrow after four weeks and one thing you got to remember is facts versus emotions uh, the city of charlottesville hired a former federal prosecutor by the name of timothy heafy timothy heafy he was hand selected by the city of charlottesville itself to write an investigative report to come to the findings of what happened. Um, this guy was a former federal prosecutor, handpicked by the city of Charlottesville uh, itself, and his findings were that the violence, the vast majority of the violence, was a result of the actions taken by the so-called Antifa, the people who were there to oppose those who were there to defend the Lee statue, if that makes sense. Uh, and I think in many ways that's going to completely obliterate uh, what the plaintiffs, uh, the picture the plaintiffs' attorneys have been trying to to paint that uh, that official city-sanctioned report 
I think we'll do that along with the video evidence, just countless, countless hours of video evidence of Unite the Right participants just walking and being attacked by people uh, in the periphery that are lined up with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Uh, but, again, w the way I see things as a, as a newsman or as a radio guy and somebody who has followed this stuff for years versus what your average juror will see, well, who's to say what a jury will will think and believe and what their thought process is, is going to be? Uh, but it'll it'll all uh, it's all going to come out in the wash uh, sometime around Thanksgiving is when this trial is expected to end, and if it goes badly for these co-defendants, it's going to have a real chilling effect on the freedom of speech, your right to get a permit, which these people did, they got a permit, uh, and be able to to hold a dissident uh, uh, a rally from a dissident point of view. Very very scary. Big stakes here. I think bigger than people realize. And by the way, they call it a slap lawsuit for a reason. That acronym is very interesting as well. We'll break it all down just for you with James Edwards, Liberty Roundtable, live. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. President Biden told Chinese President Xi Jinping at the start of Monday night's virtual summit that he's looking forward to a candid and forthright discussion on how to establish common sense guardrails between the two superpowers. Biden has historically said that he knows Xi better than any other world leader. It should be noted President Biden did not mention COVID-19 once to President Xi. Mark and Patricia McCloskey, the St. Louis couple who had faced gun charges after arming themselves against Black Lives Matter protesters near their home last year, are in Kenosha, Wisconsin, to support Kyle Rittenhouse as the jury deliberates. They said, we think Mr. Rittenhouse has been politically prosecuted, as were we, and we're hoping that the jury will find him not guilty on all counts and that he can go home a free man. President Biden signed into law a $1 trillion infrastructure bill at a White House ceremony on Monday. Roughly one-tenth of the money will go to traditional infrastructure projects. USA Radio News. With confusion around vaccinations, masks, and public screenings, it's important to know the symptoms of COVID and its variants. Fever is the leading sign, so make sure to use an accurate thermometer for your family. Only the Exergen Temporal Scanner Thermometer has been proven accurate with more than 100 clinical studies. Non-contact thermometers have no clinical evidence behind them and cannot be relied on. Be vigilant and be accurate with Exergen. Learn more at Exergen.com. Exergen is changing the way the world takes temperature. Just in time for Christmas, Mike Lindell has dropped the price of the standard classic MyPillow, regularly $69.98 to $19.98. Now, queen and king size slightly higher, but that price includes a free press and pack bag so you can take your MyPillow with you anywhere. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use my promo code USA, or call 1-800-951-8175. Support Mike Lindell and American Jobs and give MyPillow for Christmas. The Treasury Secretary is blaming the pandemic for America's financial doldrums. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen blamed the current U.S. inflation rate to the generalized crisis caused by the coronavirus pandemic and said that she expects the situation to stabilize within a year, although this depends on how the pandemic evolves. The pandemic has been calling the shots uh, for the economy and for inflation. And if we want to get inflation down, I think 
continuing to make progress against the pandemic is the most important thing we can do. In a CBS interview, Yellen said that she believed that prices will return to their normal levels sometime during the second half of next year. From the USA Radio News, West Texas Bureau, I'm Brad Bernards. The Leonid's meteor shower will peak on Wednesday and Thursday night between midnight and dawn. Put your eyes to the east. USA Radio News. Ladies and gentlemen, James Edwards breaks down the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally and trial. The SLAP, S-L-A-P-P, lawsuit was brought by the nonprofit Integrity First for America. They call that IFA. Now, you and I grew up with a different IFA, ladies and gentlemen, than these, than these clowns. I'll tell you what. But SLAP, by the way, S-L-A-P-P equals strategic lawsuit against public participation. And what it is is these lawsuits are designed to flat-out chill free speech, to shut people down. They don't... They're not really seeking for a redress of grievance unless you kind of manipulate the term grievance. What these people really want is they want to basically bankrupt you, shut you down, make it to where you can't speak out or advocate or believe what you want to. And uh, in my opinion, these slap lawsuits are circumspect from the start. The judges should be very, uh, very concerned about uh, the the agenda uh, with these people. You follow the money trail and you go, wow, these people are a piece of work. Nevertheless, they filed a lawsuit unfairly. Donald Trump tried to say there was, you know, good people and bad people on both sides. There are both troublemakers and good people on both sides of the conflict. You know, that's always true in any conflict. There's always bad apples everywhere. Uh, nevertheless, you got 24 defendants. You got nine groups these defendants come from, and you got a lawsuit against them called SLAP, S-L-A-P-P. They've got deep pockets, and so it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Uh, for anybody to get out of this. Now, what I see in the trial primarily is this. There's not a fair news organization reporting on this at all or an open-minded one or even one that to, to report uh, neutrally. They're all attack dog sites against um, the Unite the Right people. And what's fascinating is they're trying to use the worst of the Unite Right people, the bad apples in the barrel is what I would call it, against everybody, painting them with a broad brush, attacking them all with a real goal of bankrupting and shutting them all down. That's really what I see from an honest, neutral point of view, James. Uh, Sam, you said so much there that I want to double down on. And yes, I mean, some of the people that I know that I that, that went there, uh, family people, Christian people, hardworking, taxpaying people. One is a good friend of mine, Gene Andrews, who, and I don't mind using his name publicly because he's come on my show many times and even talked about going to the rally. I mean, Gene is a former Marine. Uh, he was a former uh, high school history teacher, uh, usher at his church you know custodian at his church so these are the kind of people that i know that went there but yes i mean there were all kinds i mean you have five thousand people show up and it's going to be a mixed bag and i can guarantee you uh the other side uh had that in spades but uh so what's going on here with the co-defendants okay uh, those who supposedly allegedly engaged in this conspiracy to commit violence now we already covered that a lot of them had never even known of each other, much less spoken to each other, much less uh, conspired to commit violence with one another in advance of this of this gathering. Now, now, some of them obviously did know each other. And so this is what you've got. You've got three different types of defendants. And it was really just a scattershot type 
thing. It, it really makes no sense who was called and who wasn't, uh, or rather who was named as a defendant and who wasn't, uh, because, uh, well, let me put it this way. On, on one level, you have Jason Kessler, who actually did get the permit and who, who was uh, one of the lead organizers of the event. Not, not, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, why not be the organizer of an event to try to save the statue of an American hero, Robert E. Lee? There's nothing wrong with that. But he was, in fact, the, the one who got the permit. OK, and so I, I guess it would make sense that that he would be named. OK, in something like this. Uh, Richard Spencer, who was another big name, was going to be a speaker. Everybody knew who he was, uh, so he was named. You understand that. Uh, and then you have some people who were named that were just there. They didn't have any role in the planning. They weren't in in communication with the, any of the people that were organizing the event. They were just participants, and they got named. And then for good measure, just to smear everybody, you do have a, a Klan organization and a, and a legitimate neo-nazi organization which i'm dubious as to whether or not these entities actually exist but let's just say that they do for argument's sake uh just to, to smear everyone uh they're added in there too uh, even though i'm sure they had no contact with uh, with uh, you know all of the other co-defendants all right so at no point were all of the co-defendants in cahoots with with one another uh, but so you've got these three types of, of, of defendants here. And it is it, it can be a Nuremberg type, uh, pardon the, the comparison, but a Nuremberg type uh, situation here where, uh, first of all, even in a civil trial, the jury has to be unanimous. But the jury can differentiate. So they can say, okay, well, this guy obviously didn't have anything to do with it we're going to let him go but this guy we're going to we're going to grant you know a five million dollar judgment against him and this organization attend me they can do that but i'm telling you sam even i who have 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 done this my entire adult life i've, I've talked about these issues and these organizations and uh, and and some of these individuals are friends of mine it's difficult even for me someone who covers this this uh Spec, uh, this uh, part of the political spectrum every week on my broadcast to differentiate between the different uh, uh, actors here. And it's going to be impossible for a jury to do that, but they can say, okay, this guy is, is not guilty, this guy, judgment against him, and, and so on and so forth. But I, I think, again, we got to come back to this. And what we got to come back to is there is no evidence that they – engage in a conspiracy. And I think the Heafy report will exonerate them. I think the video evidence will exonerate them. But it comes down to what will be admissible in court. It is still not determined whether the city of Charlottesville officially sanctioned report will be admissible as evidence, if you can believe it. So what you've got right now, again, is the plaintiff's attorney is going through different podcasts, different social media posts, and bringing up the very worst. And some of it is bad. Some of it is just unimaginably you you wonder why what would possess anybody to say something but if the first amendment doesn't protect unpopular uh or dare i say offensive speech then what good is it if the first amendment doesn't protect people to be idiots and to say things that are unpopular and makes them look bad then what good is it um the i i, I think that some of the jury will certainly look unfavorably on some of these co-defendants but does that mean just because they said things that they, you know, said the N-word? I mean, that's something that's been brought up uh, repeatedly. That they said these things, 
Does that mean that they're guilty of engaging in a conspiracy? And that's what the jury's going to have to differentiate. And another thing that's well, just been remarkable in this whole thing is you've got bar. these. Conspiracy is a pretty high bar to document, too, because you've got to have foreplanning, forethought, evidence of intended violence. Uh, there's a lot there. Now, that's one concern that I have. The other concern that I have is trying all these people together lets the jury be confused about who's who, but also lets the prosecution Just a paint everyone as equivalent to the, to the worst character uh, in, in the bunch or the worst person in the bunch. That's right. So the problem with this is even if you don't connect it to conspiracy, what you do if you're not very careful is the jury gets deceived into thinking, you know what, these people are all alike. They're all coordinated. They're all involved, and they're all as guilty as the worst guy or the bad, you know, whatever, the guy with the well, most evidence the, the, against them or whatever. And I see that as a massive problem. And then last point, the jury instructions are going to be really telling. James? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, of course, the jury is not sequestered. Now, it does have to be unanimous. Uh, but they're not sequestered. They can go home. Now, they are given instructions every day. Don't talk about it. Don't read anything, which is impossible. Impossible, I think. Impossible if you're not sequestered to do that. But uh, I don't know. I've never been called to a jury. I mean, I would do my best not to, but it, it certainly would be difficult, especially with social media stuff pops up on your phone. You can't even avoid seeing you know, spoilers all the time. Uh, but, you know, you, you've got these plaintiffs who are being represented by uh, this organization that's been funded to the tune of 15 to 20 million dollars just to prosecute this case and the uh defendants are in some cases acting as their own attorneys because what people need to remember is attorneys aren't like doctors you go into a doctor any doctor will will treat you uh, well at least that's the way it was before covid but uh, you typically you think you go to a doctor's office and you'll get you'll get the treatment Attorneys will not take on unpopular clients. I know they say no, that, that everybody's entitled white, to a robust defense. Because the not white group is equivalent all. to the non-vaxxed. Well, and that's right. I mean, in, 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 in attorneys, and I know this because I know a guy who was trying to find representation for some of these co-defendants, and he's an attorney himself, and he said he went through the Charlottesville phone book, and all of them turned them down flat. They, they, it's one after another said, can't do it. It would ruin my career. So you're left with the best of the rest. And I'm not saying that some of these attorneys are incompetent, but I don't think it's the best representation, perhaps, that money could buy. I mean, to say the least, of course, these people don't have a lot of money anyway, nor do I. But uh, some of these people, like Richard Spencer, for instance, and another individual by the name of Christopher Cantwell, are serving as their own attorneys because they couldn't get anyone to represent them. And, and actually, going on right now, I'm listening to this, it is so bizarre. The land of the free uh, is a joke. They are having not only to represent themselves, and I've heard them cross-examine many witnesses, but now they are having to question themselves on the stand. So it's, they're asking themselves questions and then giving the answer. Uh, it's you want to talk about political theater. It, this is a sad, sad thing. But this is this is what you want to talk about. David and Goliath. I'm listening to it right now. This court is in session. I'm listening to it in one ear and talking to you with the other. All right. Hang tight, ladies and gentlemen. Final segment on this topic in seconds. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Live. 
Now, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Sir Galahad, what seems to be the problem? Well, it's just not working. She's been very unrealistic. Really? Ever since he rescued me from the dragon, we've been drifting apart. That's not true. We were supposed to live happily ever after. Well, this isn't a fairy tale. <laughs> At first, he was gallant and chivalrous, opening doors for me, holding my chair, taking my arm. All right, I'm not as young as I used to be. He simply isn't the man who swept me off my feet. Well, you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> Mr. Sir Galahad, maybe if you started by just holding Mrs. Sir Galahad's hand when you're together. Really? Yes, try it. Okay. All right, go on, take your hand. Careful, little oil. Marriage. You're never too far apart when you're still holding hands. From your neighbors, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, look into each other's eyes. That's right, raise your visor. Oh, the blue <laughs> For more tips on strengthening your marriage, visit family.mormon.org. Can a nation conceived in liberty carry its head high if it denies protection to the youngest and most vulnerable of its citizens? Can a country founded on God-given rights continue to thrive without understanding that life is a precious gift from our Creator? As a physician, I have looked into the eyes of one-pound babies. I have cradled their small bodies in the palm of one hand. I defy those who are careless, who would disregard life and look at these tiny little miracles and say, we're not going to protect that. But I believe there will come a time when we are all judged on whether or not we took a stand in defense of all life from the moment of conception until our last natural breath. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, James Edwards, thepoliticalcesspool.org, is breaking down the Charlottesville rally and Unite the Right uh, trial going on. And it's really turned into a circus. I'm turning, it's turned into theater. Now, the, the uh, enemies uh, of free speech would basically have you believe that, hey, these white supremacists, uh, these um, Hitler-esque uh, haters of all that we hold dear, they're painting them as just the enemy to the umph degree, that they're using this intentionally as their stage, that they're mocking the courts, mocking the trials, using this as their stage to get their um, hate-filled agenda out. I submit that couldn't be further from the truth, James. Uh, say again one, uh, one second, Sam. My audio cut out for just a second. <laughs> the Unite the Right people uh, are being attacked basically on this idea that they're using this as a stage to spew their hate. Yep. And I submit that couldn't right. be further from the truth. They're desperate without counsel, without guidance in the courts, clinging for dear life without any money against a machine, sir. Well, you know, and we talked about that last night, too. Uh, that was actually a Washington Post article on um, on Friday, I believe, Thursday or Friday, saying... Uh, even though they've been deplatformed from social media, they found a new platform, the court. Well, I mean, <laughs> first of all, uh, the coverage of this is completely alien. What I read in, in uh, the establishment-controlled press coverage of this is totally alien to what I'm listening 
when I listen to this for eight hours a day, and I've listened to this from nine to five every day for the last four weeks, okay, ninety percent plus every day. They're talking about how devastating the case has been uh, that the plaintiffs' attorneys have put forth. I don't think they've produced any evidence at all to the question at hand, and that is that these people who I look, I don't know everybody that's a co-defendant, but the ones I do know, they're not criminals. They haven't, they don't have a long rap sheet. So the idea that they all came together to conspire to commit some sort of a huge, mass, violent, uh, beat them up, uh, kill them uh, type demonstration is just laughable. Uh, that they have a, been so devastating in their in their case is is laughable. Now, what they have been effective in doing is, of course, making these people look bad, and they uh, these people gave them some some uh, ammunition to do that. I got to say it. They did. Uh, but uh, I. It, it, what it's going to come down to is this. And, and that is when the defense finally begins uh, to present its case, which will happen, I think, as early as later today, after four weeks of reading uh, impolite comments that the defendants have made, what will be admissible if they can make the Hefe report admissible, if they can make this video uh, uh, evidence uh, admissible. I mean, it's going to come down to who you're going to believe, the plaintiff's attorneys or your lying eyes. And that, it's just going to be that cut and dry and that simple. Uh, and it's going to come down to whether the jury can say, hey, I don't like these guys. Uh, these guys offend me. Uh, I wouldn't want to be around these guys. But you know what? They're not guilty here. There's a lot of societal pressure for a verdict here uh, or a judgment here that's going to come down against uh, the defendants. They are, of course, cast as the bad guys, and the jury's going to know that just as sure as the jury knew that in the Derek Chauvin trial. But what kind of jury are we going to have here? Uh, one of the things I got to listen to, Sam, very interestingly, as uh, I listened to all of this, was the jury selection process. And there was not one, not two, but many Many jurors who, when asked questions during the part of the jury selection process, were saying, hey, the only racism I see in society is racism against white people. Uh, the only so sort of violence that I see is violence inflicted against white people. Yeah, there was a lot of people who were saying things like that. <clears throat> and what you have here in this particular uh, jurisdiction is this is a federal court case. Uh, filed in federal court in the Western District of Virginia. So this is not a city of Charlottesville court. The city of Charlottesville is a college town, so of course that skews to be more left-wing. Uh, but this is the Western District of Virginia. It does include Charlottesville, but it does not include Northern Virginia, which is a liberal bastion. It includes all of Western Virginia. And why don't you go look at a map of Western Virginia and see how they voted in 2016. Uh, it is blood red for Trump. And you're going to have some of those people on the jury. Now, you do have a, a racially and ideologically diverse jury. You have uh, blacks on the jury. You have whites on the jury. I know this for a fact. You have uh, people who uh, would probably lean a little more towards our way of thinking. You have uh, some who would disagree with us, uh, ideologically speaking. And that's okay. I mean, you would expect that on a jury. But it's not as if everybody on this jury are going to be uh, Antifa from the city of Charlottesville. Uh, so it's just going to come down to can they withstand the pressure? Uh, can they think for themselves based upon the evidence and not the emotional feelings that uh, the plaintiff's attorneys have tried to inflict upon them by making these people look bad. Uh, and, again, what will the judge allow? The judge, this is an interesting character. He's 85 years old, 85-year-old judge, uh, and he's been fair. I, I don't know what his political beliefs are. 
Uh, but in listening to him every day in court, he's been very fair, I think, and even-handed in this handling of this thing. And I would tell you otherwise. If I'd say, hey, you know, this guy, I think he's one of us, or, man, this guy's really out to get us. He's been fair. So I don't know. I, I think they've got a puncher's chance. Uh, but if it goes right. badly, it is going to chill free speech in a way that I don't know. I don't know if I've seen anything else in my lifetime that will have the effect on free speech as multi-million dollar judgments being handed down against all of these co-defendants. All right, let me throw this out. Here's um, mainstream news coverage. Quote Vice. This couple survived the Unite the Right car attack, but the trauma tore them apart. So they survived the murderous car attack, but it was the trauma that got those guys. Now, the guy that used the car that ran into people or whatever, there's a big old debate of how that all went down in truth, but set that aside. He's not even a defendant here, is he? No, actually, he is, Sam, and I'm glad you brought that up. He is oh, he one is. of the defendants, but, of course, he's already he's already in prison and serving uh, a life sentence plus 417 years. I, I forgot to mention that, and he does have an attorney there. Uh, you you got to understand, there are about a half dozen different attorneys plus two pro se, which means Richard Spencer and Chris Cantwell uh, specifically representing them own se- their own selves, uh, and they uh, they all go up one after another to cross-examine each and every every witness. So, yes, James Fields is the person. Now, James Fields, and this is something that's come out, he knew nobody. He knew none of the co-defendants, and none of the co-defendants knew him. But he is on trial. Now, I don't know how much a civil sanction or a civil judgment for a guy serving life plus uh, Hold on. Half it won't make any uh, difference century. at all, James. And this is why I bring this up, because you know what? You got AP, Associated Press. Woman recalls complete terror. Of Charlottesville car attack. BuzzFeed News. A woman who narrowly escaped being run over by a car at the Unite the Right Valley or Rally describes complete terror scene. So they don't want him there for any reason. He's already gone to jail forever. An attorney being there is a waste of time. The whole scenario, all that does though is again put that guy as the worst. And y'all are just like him as their inference. It's dishonest, yeah. it's immoral. I'm glad you brought that it, up. It's bogus. I'm glad you brought that up, and I, I, I wasn't purposefully omitting him when I went through some of the people that were co-defendants. It's just as though he has been almost an afterthought. Nobody's really focusing on him. His attorney comes up and, and asks uh, uh, each of the co-defendants if they knew him, and they say no, and then he rests. So it's just basically showing there was no connection whatsoever there. Uh, and, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of the witnesses that the plaintiff's attorneys have called are some of their own plaintiffs. Uh, but they're also calling a lot of the defendants. So the defendants get to come up and get grilled by the prosecution, but then their own attorneys get to cross-examine them. Uh, so I think it's interesting that uh, the, the, the defendants are being called up by the prosecution, but then when they come up to present their own defense, I guess you know presumably they'll go back up uh, on, onto the stand again, but with a different set of questions. Uh, but uh, there was something I was going to say that was very important and, and I lost it on so that I rabbit submit trail, to you that the news, it was, it was the news usually, James, stays oh, out yeah, of the these uh, things in the middle of the trials. Right now, they're doing just the opposite. They're quadrupling down and literally painting everyone as the murderer in the car. That's really the bottom line well, what they're doing. I, I was going to say this about not only are you the a plaintiff's in injuries a car, is what I was going to comment. filled murderer in a car, just so you know. If you weren't hit by the car... Uh, but of course, that guy was just somebody that nobody knew that showed up, and uh, of course, matter. you know the, that, the. That's why he's in this the case. Other side using s- this to make it the worst it can be. 
Now, there, you know, a, a lot of people are saying, well, his car was being beaten with bats and that he was surrounded on all sides by the Antifa, and so he, he gunned it to try to get out of there, and then uh, people got injured. And, and of course, the, 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 the other side will say, well, he did it on purpose because he was a Nazi and he just wanted to kill people. Uh, you know, that, that's neither here nor there with really regard to this case. But, uh, yes, I, I, some of the people were injured. But, now, interestingly, one of the guys who was a plaintiff said he was injured. He was injured so badly uh, he couldn't play basketball anymore, and you know, so he's seeking damages. Uh, but there was pictures that apparently came up uh, a couple of years after the effect that show him playing basketball. Now I don't know if that was something that was photoshopped or what, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of question there. And then another one said that she was so traumatized by the attacks. Uh, that she couldn't open a book. She can't even open a book and read a book anymore. Now, wh why exactly you couldn't open a book? Because you know you saw something horrific. I don't. I don't know. I'm so but she also went on to pass the bar. In your radio. <laughs> but she went on to pass the bar and become an attorney. So that's pretty incredible. You if you can't open a book or read, you can become an attorney. Though, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to uh, snipe at the at the plaintiffs. I think they're being used. Uh, maybe willfully, maybe they, they want to be a part of this. Maybe they're getting paid by the attorneys that have made $15 million. I don't know. But they're not going to get any compensation from these co-defendants who don't have Our two prayer. nipples to rub together. Uh, but as I don't want to bring them into the crosshairs. As we finish the hour, James, we're about out of time. I want to just really say I pray that the jury is wise enough to realize that, you know what, guilt or innocence is an individual reality. And people are assumed innocent until proven guilty. And they've set a high bar for proof of guilt. And I hope oh, they don't put them all together, and I hope they don't violate reality and say, because I don't like them, I'm going to barbecue them or prosecute them. Let's look at the reality of the charges. Did they create a conspiracy, uh, number one, and look at them individually and say they're innocent until we have enough proof of guilt. I hope the jury is wise enough, or at least enough people on the jury are wise enough to really assess that openly, honestly, and morally, James, that's what I hope. There's something important that's got to be said to your point right there, but I first very quickly want to go back when I said I don't want to bring the plaintiffs into the crosshairs. I, of course, meant the rhetorical crosshairs, but you, you never know what's going to be taken literally and, 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 and not. But, uh, you know, and I wish them the best. I hope they find God and, and can be productive citizens. But uh, in, in a civil case, a little bit different than a criminal case, criminal case, it is uh, the jury has to weigh the evidence and find uh, the standard of measurement is beyond a reasonable doubt. In a civil case, the bar is lower. It is a preponderance of the evidence. Uh, now, again, to me, there has been no evidence. The only evidence is that these people said reckless and stupid things and immature things, and, and it makes them look bad, but it, 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 will that poison the jury's mind enough to say, okay, well, because we don't like them, we're going to find them guilty and, and, and rule against them? Uh, we'll find out soon, but this this is high stakes. Uh, it's high stakes not just for the people on, on, on trial, but uh, also for freedom of speech. I do believe that, and that's another reason why I've taken such a keen interest in this case, which Ladies I'm and gentlemen, listening to pray, now and will continue to do. Pray for honesty. Pray for truth. Pray for discernment. Pray for all the things that matter, because it's not just these defendants that are on trial. I think it's every one of us when it comes to the five guarantees of the First Amendment. Pray hard. Stand for truth. And do what is right. James Edwards, thank you so much. We'll talk soon, brother. Love you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Hour 1 of the Can, Hour 2 coming up. Simulcast with Brady on TV. The Sheriff Mack Show coming up on your radio. Hang tight. God save the Republic of the United States of America.
It is indeed time, ladies and gentlemen, for the Sheriff Matt Show. Every Tuesday morning on your favorite TV station, Rideon.tv. Welcome to the Sheriff Matt Show. Casting live and from atop welcome the to the Good Sheriff. The crossroads of the West. Hey, thanks, Sam. You um, are listening to the I Liberty Roundtable Radio Show. I just remembered where I am today. Uh, it's where I started in law enforcement. I'm in Provo, Utah. Not yeah. Too far, not, far, not too far from you. And, and I got to tell you, uh, this is such an astonishing reason that I'm here. Uh, I worked a murder case back in 1985, and the suspect was found guilty in, in a court of law by a jury of his peers. And um, he's been serving a sentence, and I think he got, I think he got uh, capital punishment. Uh, but about 10 years ago, I guess he was getting tired of being in prison and being tired of being on death row. Uh, I don't know what his motivation was. I get, well, I guess I do. Uh, everybody wants to be free, I guess. Freedom. <clears throat> and so, <laughs> it, yeah, and, and we're fighting for that every day ourselves. But um, it, it was just astonishing that now he wants to claim that he should get a new trial because some of the witnesses in this case who were actually friends of his um, we, we supposedly bribed them. Uh, and if anybody bribed them, it would be me because I was in charge of taking care of these witnesses because they, uh, they only spoke Spanish. Some of them, some of them didn't speak English. One didn't speak English at all. And, uh, as you know, I speak pretty good Spanish. And, uh, so I was in charge of, uh, taking care of these witnesses. Uh, we broke, uh, in fact, I broke the case because one of these witnesses finally broke down and told us the truth about their friend murdering this lady uh, in Southeast Provo. And uh, I'm still astonished that I'm even here, uh, but the Utah Supreme Court, and this is just another, I think, cog in the wheel of injustice that attorneys, lawyers, judges uh, perpetuate in our country. Uh, I, I guess they just don't have enough to do uh, because this thing is so frivolous, uh, because the suspect, we, we didn't need to bribe anybody because the suspect uh, gave a complete confession as to how he committed this murder, that he did commit the murder. Uh, and, and then now, because uh, somebody, uh, one of our officers, uh, yours truly, gave a Christmas tree to the witnesses after the trial, um, they want to call that a bribe. Uh, so anyway, uh, it, it is so ridiculous. Now, if that's uh, not a bum or a, what do they call it, a bah humbug situation? That, that is. 35 is plus a, years a, later, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I know. So here we are coming up on Christmas. Uh, and so this is uh, really a slap in the face to officers who did a very good job on this case, uh, who really wanted to make sure that uh, justice was uh, achieved. And no one was trying to uh, get any witness to lie or or do anything subversive to uh, get a guilty verdict on this. Uh, we leave that to the jury. We do our best to uh, gather the evidence. Uh, we discovered evidence. We didn't create evidence. Uh, and, and this really has me uh, baffled. But anyway, that's why I'm here. I, I think I will be on the stand this afternoon. Uh, and then part of tomorrow morning. That's the way the schedule looks. 
And I've told all of them that I'm going to be gone uh, with my family, some of my grandkids, uh, Lucy's four kids. Uh, we're going on a little family vacation because it seems like that's the only time I can get any time off is if I leave town. And, and even then, I still don't get it because I still have some work to do while I'm there. But uh, I'm going to be taking off some time Wednesday evening. And I told them, I'm not going to be there. You want to come and arrest me? I'm not going to be there after uh, four o'clock on Wednesday. So, uh, Sam, I really uh, just got I really want to focus on something else, too. I just got back from San Antonio. So I, I was in Utah, uh, flew back to Phoenix. The next day, I flew back to San Antonio for the meeting uh, with the Restore America uh, group with uh, people that we've had on our show. Uh, Clay Clark and General Flynn uh, were there, and uh, Mike Lindell was there. And I, I introduced myself to Mike Lindell. He was really busy taking photographs with everybody. Uh, but the reception that I received there was absolutely phenomenal. There's about uh, 2,000 people in the audience, uh, and it was at... Uh, uh, the Christian church by Reverend Hagee and Hagee opened up his church for everybody. And it was just an amazing facility, amazing night. I flew home uh, Sunday morning and then I flew back here yesterday and then I fly to California Wednesday. And then I fly from that location. I fly to San Jose. The reason I'm mentioning all that, my travel log is because I've been working with sheriffs uh, the whole presentation that I gave Saturday night was all about the sheriffs in this country. And I mentioned somebody's name uh, that we have on the show today. And he he was on our list of constitutional sheriffs who are standing for freedom. Uh, and uh, so I'm just thrilled uh, the way it's going, because it seems like every week, maybe almost daily, there's another sheriff doing something uh, to stand for freedom in this country. And uh, it's proven one thing. It's, it's proving that one, uh, we are not accepting tyranny. We are not accepting oppression. We are not accepting self-appointed dictators in America. Uh, and that is happening county by county and state by state, just like we say at the CSPOA, we can take America back county by county, one good sheriff at a time, and hopefully state by state. But there's some states where this isn't going to happen either. And this good sheriff, Sheriff Cody Bowen, is from one of those states where we hope that people wake up and get rid of this tyrant uh, governor that they have there. And we're going to talk to Sheriff Cody Bowen about a letter he wrote to Governor Brown in the great state of Oregon. And Sheriff Bowen, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the Sheriff Mack Show, sir. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Now, one quick thing about Cody Bowen that you may not know, he started out as a tire uh, a tire salesman guy, worked at a uh, Les Schwab tire or whatever, right? Yes, I did. Yep. I spent 15 years of my life there. And that's where you learned to deal with people. Oh, that was the, the hands down how I learned to run a business, uh, customer service, uh, how to hustle. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it taught me uh, how to be a man real quick. The reason I bring that up, ladies and gentlemen, is that's what we really need. When we elect people, people who understand businesses, people who cut their teeth in the private sector, people who learn to deal with people on a, you know what, I got to do a good job because my whole uh, income, my wherewithal, my business, my depends on it. And when you come from that background, Sheriff Mack, that really sets the stage for who he is now as sheriff. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, I used to uh, sell cars at one point. Uh, I also was a school teacher just until last December, just a year ago. I quit teaching school because I get too busy with the with my supposed part time job with the CSPOA. But uh, Sheriff Bowen, we know a little bit about your background. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit more of your background and how you got in how you got involved in law enforcement, how long you've been sheriff, and and uh, uh, why you live in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that question gets asked quite a bit. Why Why are we still here? Uh, I was born and raised here in Eastern Oregon. I uh, grew up here, went to school here, raised my family here. Uh, Les Schwab moved me around a little bit. Uh, I spent some time out of county over in Pendleton area, uh, up above Seattle in the in the rainy city. Was up there for about four years and then promoted back to the uh, Grand. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 21 years. Uh, we have three children. I have the last one that's about ready to get out of the house here at 18. It's her senior year. And, You're about uh, to bust free, Sheriff. Yeah. I, I don't know about free. Some of the colleges. <laughs> <is not bad. laughs> we'll see. Sometimes they leave the nest, but they always stop back by for a little lettuce uh, called the, the green leaves from daddy. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm okay with that. They, I told the wife they don't have to ever leave home, but she's, yeah, no. And, and your better half is Tish, right? Tish, yeah. My wife is Tish. Yeah, yeah. And she grew up just over the hill in Pendleton, about 45 minutes away, uh, born and raised there. And uh, yeah, we met. Um, I moved over there with Les Schwab and um, we met, been married 21 years now. And uh, I look back and I, I marriage is a full time job. It's uh, I, yeah, I love it with all my heart, but we both got to work hard at it at times. So that's right. How'd you get Everybody into law does. enforcement? Uh, so I about year 13 year 14 here at Les Schwab, uh, I, the sheriff approached me about uh, being a volunteer, being a reserve, a reserve deputy. And uh, I signed up with that and went on a few ride-alongs with the guys and fell in love with it. I was a volunteer for two years. And then uh, he offered me a job, full-time job back in 2010, 2011. And I cut my pay in half and came to law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, uh, when did you go to the police academy? Uh, police Academy is so once they once in Oregon, when they hire you on the department, sends you to the police Academy. I was in police Academy 2010 through 2011, um, graduated in February of 2011. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. So then, uh, you decided to run for sheriff. Well, yeah, I, I spent, uh, uh, Six years, uh, one year on patrol, five years as a school resource officer uh, here at our local school district. Covered the grade schools, the high school, the middle school, and I did uh, that. Yeah, I, I, you know what? The kids are our future. I absolutely fell in love with it, and uh, I also coach our the Grand High School girls softball team too. And I've done that for the last six years now, also. And it uh, just, you know, the kids, you know, try and try and be a role model, try and be some structure, and. Uh, give them, you know, someplace to go if needed and, um, you know, turn out good citizens, try and retain them now. Uh, wow. You know, I started a cadet program, brought back a reserve program and uh, trying to get some of those, those kids to stick around that are interested in law enforcement. But yeah. So how, uh, long sheriff, you, how long have you been sheriff? I've been sheriff since uh, going on 11 months here, 10 months. <laughs> Yeah. So I've so, got three. I've got three more years to absolutely screw this up or uh, yeah. do right. <laughs> well, we think you're doing a great job, but uh, the, for being such a rookie sheriff, yes. uh, what is it that brought you to the decision to write such a scathing letter to your own governor 
and uh, assail her, criticize her, uh, critique her about the horrible job she's doing. And, and why don't you fill us in on that? What, what happened? Well, I, you know, part of my platform is I, I'm no politician and I won't dance in the gray area. Um, you're going to know who Cody Bowen is. You're going to know where I stand. And, and if you don't, then that's my fault. Uh, what provoked this uh, in, you know, the first year of getting my feet wet, trying to learn the job, you know, the budget, the office, the vehicles, the, 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 the political end of things. Um, I attended a lot of school board meetings and the school, you know, coming from a school resource officer background, the schools are in my heart and the kids are in my heart. And I had our local community. We had parents that were just outraged that, uh, they were going to mask our kids, possibly va uh, vac mandate the vaccines to our children. Right. And, uh, parents were talking to the school boards and the school board members just, um, acted like they had no option. They were backed into a wall. Uh, our governor threatened to, um, decertify our teachers, um, oh, for God's sake. fine our admin up to $500 a day for every and, kid and, that didn't have a mask. And on. by the way, uh, both of you sheriffs, this is where the governors are doing this. Some state leaders, some private businesses are doing this. Never mind multiple states from the court saying this is flat out out of control overreach to date. So let's be clear on the status of where we really are uh, along with Cody's stance. Yeah, agreed. Um, we, in, in fact, it was brought to our Oregon Supreme Court here, and uh, they they threw out the one case that uh, local county uh, brought up against them as far as her mandate. You know, the last, you know, the emergency order that lasted way past its limit um, got her what she wanted as far as, you know, mandating the masks and closing the businesses. And, you know, here locally, you know, she never came out and saw what exactly it was doing to Eastern Oregon residents, Eastern Oregon business owners. And uh, it, it flat, you know, losing a year of business for these mom and pop shops, it, it shut them down. You know, we're losing, we're losing good people that have been, you know, pillars of our community. And it's for her to be totally disengaged and, you know, what works best on the West side of the state doesn't always work best for the, the smaller folks out in Eastern Oregon. So, and let's you know, be clear, Sheriff, some of these businesses, that's the whole core of the community though, without these local businesses, there's nothing. Yeah. And not only that, you know, people look at it. Uh, one comment was made by, uh, Oh, well, well, the brick and mortar will still be there. Well, <laughs> yeah, the building's still going to be there, but the folks and the heart and the soul that, that, that brought that business to our community, donated to our youth, um, brought people in, fed our sports programs. You know, the, it's, it's not just about them. Oh, they're, they're going to lose money. Boo-hoo for the poor business owner. That's not what it's about. The whole community loses. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Long story short, I sat down through a lot of these board meetings and the, you know, the, the board members, I kept screaming to myself, just stand up and say, no, stand up and say, no. Oh, amen, Sheriff. Amen. I'm sorry. And I'm no. saying, yeah. yeah. That is what we preach. That is absolutely what we preach. We do not need to go to court and ask permission, especially from federal courts, to, to keep our oath of office, to yeah. do what we're supposed to be doing as our jobs in, in our individual communities. I'm so yeah. glad you said that because that is exactly correct. In fact, I'm one to talk about that because I went to the United States Supreme Court. And what I learned about going there is I shouldn't have gone there. We should have said no. We're not doing that. You're not my boss. I don't have to listen to you. Washington, D.C., you cannot tell any sheriff in this country what to do. We don't work for you. But let me make something very clear, Sheriff Mack, that I want all of our viewers to understand. Yes, you probably shouldn't have gone to court because you didn't need permission. That's true. However, 
by you going to court and winning at the Supreme Court against Bill Clinton, uh, the greatest Tenth Amendment decision ever rendered in American history is the modern result backing sheriffs now, such as Cody. So not only are they standing on firm ground like they always have, but now they have a modern-day Tenth Amendment court case to back them uh, in their efforts. That's really important, though. No, I'm still glad I got the victory. Uh, But if I hadn't won the victory, I would have made it worse for everybody. But uh, the truth of the matter still remains. We need to stop asking judges for permission to do what we already promised to do. And But I agree with Sam, uh, Sheriff Co- uh, Bowen. I've got to tell you, uh, it's an amazing case. I'm glad I have it. it it's given us uh, sheriffs who are standing for freedom uh, so much credibility because Justice Scalia, who wrote the decision, really – uh, endorses and cooperates what we're trying to do. And that is just one simple thing. Restore liberty to America. Absolutely. So, uh, okay, go on with your letter then. You uh, you saw this happening at school boards. You probably saw it from other businesses I think you alluded to. So you decided to write uh, Governor Brown. Isn't it Kate Brown? Correct. Uh, Governor Kate Brown, who is a, a, an extreme uh, progressive, and I don't even know why they were use that word progressive. I thought it used to be you were for progress, uh, but she is such a socialist. Dash They're Congress. always good at labels. That's why you're for well, the I know. Patriot uh, Act and everything else. See, but but so um, not even being in office one year, you take it upon yourself to tell the governor uh, off. <laughs> and tell her to get back to uh, doing the things that she's supposed to be doing. Uh, and why did you tell us some of the things you've said to her in your letter? Well, when I when I first wrote the letter, you know, I my opening sentence was I, I write this in today in hopes of opening a dialogue. You know, I just call me, talk to me, uh, l- let me know why this 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 stuff is happening across the state and, and it's affecting us. You know, this last mass mandate, she she declared another state of emergency over some firefighters and their fire fires, excuse me, some fires down in our southern counties, and then had absolutely nothing to do with anything else other than she declared more indoor mask mandates and um, possible termination of employees. But you know, what I told her in the first paragraph of you know. I got a little bit of kickback from our local citizens, uh, some progressive, you know, the, the loud minority, if you will, because when I wrote the letter, I stated, we the people of Union County. Um, I was clearly speaking for the majority, um, not everybody. You know, there were some people that absolutely blow my mind today that still think that the government should mandate uh, a vaccine. They should mandate our children in school wearing masks. And uh, the last time I checked with the CDC, uh, I think there was three deaths of kids 18 or under uh, for COVID, if I'm not mistaken. So basically what this this tells me is that, you know, it's not about the kids. We're punishing the kids. You know, we're losing we're losing that that social interaction, that facial expression. These kids are learning how to read people's faces. And um, because, you know, some of the older generation and I don't want to downplay this at all, but it's frustrating that we're punishing our children for uh, for something that's going on with, with the other folks. I've lost a lot of good friends to COVID. Uh, it's a real, I'm not anti-vaccine, I'm not anti-mask. What I am is, it's my choice. It's our choice. And you take that away from me, and you forget who you work for, 
there's going to come a time when there's going to be some pretty severe pushback. And, you know, once people get tired of it, once it gets in their own home, then, you know, as well as I do, that's when the pushback's going to happen. And, um, Sheriff, well, and to that, me, what this is about, though, is it's about agency on our part, we the people. And you're defending that agency regardless of where somebody stands. You're just saying, hey, I want people to be able to make their own choices. The other thing that's an issue with this in my mind is authority. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's definitely, uh, there's definitely some control issues going on there. Um, in fact, there's, you know, this this letter, this letter, she uh, after she received this letter, of course, I still haven't heard anything from her, but uh, now she's deciding to commute, uh, let convicted felons out of prison. Uh, one specifically directly in our county that has troubled us for years, unmanageable on pro post-prison supervision, unmanageable in the community, other than stealing, drug dealing, guns, uh, person crimes. And she decided to let him out seven years early um, with the intent of him coming back to this county um, because... Yeah, was that uh, your punishment? I, honestly, that she was trying uh, to get back at you? But yeah, I believe it's a jab right back at our county. I believe it's a jab right back at me. And, uh, you know, this this one of her remarks to this young man who happens to be a, a, a minority, if you will, um, he, she told him that uh, you have a hard road ahead going back to Eastern Oregon. It's one of the most racist places in our state. You know, she tells this wow. feels. Yeah. And it, you know, that's been, that's been fact checked by multiple people, if you will. Uh, witnesses are right there, including the young man that uh, is now back in our community. So, um, yeah, I, you know, right, b before we go on, I want to focus on this opening salvo that you gave to the governor. And I really think this is important and it shows who we are um, as people. It shows who the sheriffs that represent us are, which is you started out saying, listen, let's have an open dialogue here. Let's work through this together. Uh, you put forth the olive branch. You led with a legacy of civility, sir. I think that's really important to note when we get back. We'll drill into this more with both sheriffs. This is indeed the Sheriff Mac Show. This is an amazing company that has sponsored both of us. And this is a way to have backup communications when the grid goes down. Well, the situation became problematic, Mike, with the New Orleans, uh, the latest uh, hurricane, because people panic. And this is one thing that I've learned from being associated with the satellite phone store for over a decade. People will call and order 600 phones at a time. What? It's like this, Mike. Anytime there is a crisis, people want these. And ladies and gentlemen, they've created a, such a good deal for uh, Mike's uh, viewers, my viewers, our combined viewers, that this is the only way you're going to be able to communicate. And that's the other beauty about these phones is they can't track you because it's not talking to a cell tower. It's talking to satellites you know, orbiting uh, over the equator. So sat123.com, folks. IGF, what is IGF? It's the substance that's naturally found in your body. It does things like strengthen your immune system. It promotes 
lean muscle gain, healthy weight loss, restful sleep, energy, clearer thinking, all of the things that make men men again, right? But the older we get, the less our body naturally produces the IGF that's there. Go to keystolife.shop right now and do the research on IGF. The IGF-1 spray that they have there is exclusive to keystolife.shop. Now, this is something that you spray in your mouth three times a day. It actually tastes really good too. Uh, And this is going to boost the IGF levels in your body. So go to keys, the number two life.shop. You're going to get buy one, get one. If you put the product on auto ship, you can cancel anytime that you want to, but I would recommend that you try this product for at least three months. I'm on my third month and just now seeing tremendous gains. All right. So go to keys, the number two life.shop again, keys to life.shop. Check out the benefits of IGF one. What does it have to do with deer antler velvet? Go to keys, the number two life.shop. Make sure that you mention Stu Peters when you go to keys to life.shop. Tired of being canceled? Join us on Brighteon.social. Get social with us, Brighteon.social. Get the latest news. For the best news of the day, go to Natural News, www.naturalnews.com. Sign up for email alerts, world bombshell reports. It's information warfare. Get the news you just won't hear anywhere else. And grab a copy of Mike's nine-hour audio book. It reveals all. How to Survive the Global Reset by Mike Adams. I write to you today in hopes of opening a dialogue and as a last resort to put you on notice that we the people, that's how his letter starts out, Sheriff Mack. I also want, I want to hear the last paragraph. I think the last paragraph was pretty strong too. Uh, Sheriff Boyd, do you have that? Can you read that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last last paragraph. Paragraph. Uh, we will raise our children how we see fit. We will choose to wear a mask or choose not to wear a mask. We will choose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. Your mindless dictates will no longer be tolerated. <laughs> wow. Freedom in Union County, Oregon. Well, it's pretty simple. You know, you know what really though, Sheriff uh, Bowen, this should not be uncommon for a sheriff to do that. No. Every sheriff should be doing this. It's our job to protect liberty. And I have been saying this for years and years, way before I started the CSBOA, but about the time I filed my own lawsuit, but that was 1994. I was saying, why do we take an oath of office and then summarily ignore it? And how could we keep an oath of office if we don't know and understand the rights of the people we work for? If we don't know the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, how could we pretend to be the protector of those rights therein guaranteed and mentioned in detail. It would be an impossible job to do. And I so admire you for what you've done. You've set a great example. And that that brings me back to what I think is probably one of the most important questions I could ask you. How many other sheriffs in Oregon feel the same way you do and what is it that we got to do to get more sheriffs on board? But how many sheriffs are pretty much in line with your way of thinking and and uh, believe that we should be standing more for liberty? Uh, <clears throat> I believe there's 36 of us. Um, I believe strongly that there's 34 of us that believe the same, feel the same that I do. Uh, there's a couple that are pretty staunch politicians that cater to their 
to their voters uh, in their area on the west side of the state. Um, I believe that uh, in their heart at one time, uh, they stood for what matters, but now it's just a matter of a re-election, in my opinion. And they have yet to reach out to tell me different um, just by the way things take place down in that place. You know, there's the Portland, for instance, is an absolute uh, garbage hole, if you will, now. And that's based on, you know, they, they've had this big push to defund their police. And now their murder rate's up. It's looking like, I don't know, uh, it's looking pretty crazy over there. And now they're trying to offer sign-on bonuses. They want to hire 300 additional police. They're realizing, you know, um, they're, re they're reaping what they sow. You know, when you have your mayor downtown dancing around with Antifa and the protesters, um, and a sheriff's not standing up just to shut that down immediately right. is mind-boggling to me. Uh, you know, the sheriff over there, you know, a couple of sheriffs over there forgot their job and forgot their role. Uh, it's not about getting elected. It's about taking care of the people. And now, you know, they're, they're reaping what they sow. So during uh, that time, I got calls uh, from people all over Oregon. Why, uh, in fact, all over the country, why isn't the sheriff in Portland doing something? I said, call him and ask him. I don't know who he doesn't work for me, but yeah, yeah we between, were between the mayor and the DA. I mean, there was no support for law enforcement whatsoever, but no. still, you know, you got plenty of room in your jail, bud. use it, um, do your job <clears throat> and uh, stand up for your officers, stand up for your deputies. So the, you know, there's, there's, there's 11 to 12 other sheriffs that have written let similar letters, not quite as strongly worded, um, but definitely stating that they will stand up for the Constitution, the United States Constitution and the Oregon Constitution, the Bill of Rights, especially, you know, um, you know, God given rights. Uh, th there's a few other letters out there, you know, it, it oh, yeah. courage is contagious. You know, uh, they left me hanging for a couple of days after I wrote this letter. <laughs> I, <you know. laughs> Here I, here I was eight months in as the new guy, and I thought, you know what, why is nobody standing up? And I said, you know, I don't care. I, this, I, somebody needs to stand up and say something, and I know my role, and I, I know the, you know, the, the majority of Union County citizens feel the way that I feel. And, uh, yeah, that's my job. So. It is. It is. And thank you for doing it. That's a, uh, it's an amazing step that you've taken, uh, and uh, we really appreciate it. Now, uh, Sam, did you have a question right there? Well, I want to just say that I think that it's on solid legal ground when you uh, cite the Constitution. Uh, we're talking about jurisdictional reality. We're talking about we the people uh, give government their uh, power, their authority by the consent of the governed. Some of these checks and balances are being overlooked all because of a so-called COCO emergency or whatever you want to say. Um, look, I get that the first 10 days of this thing might have been an emergency in some people's minds. But we're talking almost two years later, and the dictates seem to just be ramping up, Sheriff. So your letter starts out very civil and says, let's have some open dialogue. And what I would like to do is invite uh, Governor Kate Brown on TV with uh, Sheriff Mack and uh, Sheriff Cody and myself. And you know what? We can have a, a, an important dialogue about jurisdiction, about the proper role of government, about checks and balances, and about the rule of law. But then your letter gets pretty in your face, uh, but I think it does for, for legitimate reasons. And what I mean by that is this, when you start creating mandates as President Joe Biden and or Governor Kate Brown in this case, you're in everyone's face um, with a vengeance, Sheriff Cody. And, and that, that's got to simply be said, look, stand down and let's talk. Is that the message? Yeah. Yeah. We really hope that uh, she would back out of this whole, the mandate for the kids, the mandate for the vaccine. You know, we've lost a lot of good employees. We've lost a lot of good cops. 
uh, nurses at our local hospital. Yeah, you know, we've been it, hoping that she would resign. Yeah, yeah. Heard yeah. that. I don't think she's yeah. going to. But I mean, she was appointed to begin with, you know, she's been there. Um, she's waved her wand around. She's got the last year in office and, uh, you know, she's going to do everything she can to support the Biden administration. One of her ultimate goals is to end up in the Biden administration. So yeah. when she leaves here in a year, you know, um, she, she's going to, she's going to follow his, his lead to a tune, um, to the complete destruction of Oregon. And then, you know, we'll rebuild, you know, we'll, uh, the people are already starting to realize, you know, you have your, you know, your progressive group, if you, whatever we call them now, that, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to realize their, their ways and their craziness starting to sound even more crazy to them. So it'll come around eventually. Uh, we just, you know, we need to stand up and, and protect and remind those folks that they work for us. All right, I got some questions. How is the county commission taking this or the equivalent thereof? How is your DA taking this? I know you said a few progressive citizens are pushing back, but you speak for pretty much the majority of the citizenry in your county. That's wonderful. Uh, but how are some of the other uh, colleague leaders, if you will, that have been elected uh, to your county uh, supporting you and, and accepting this? Yeah, county commissioners, all three of them, um, they, they've they come out vocally stating that they're against the mandates, they're against the masks, they're against uh, any type of mandatory anything in the county. Um, we are a, uh, you know, a second amendment community, uh, second amendment County. Um, we are, as far as, um, the district attorney's office, you know, they, I feel I have her support. Um, the, the, the biggest thing there is just, you know, keeping the communication open, um, keeping the lines. Open. I, I have even brought to her as far as, you know, arresting officials when they come to our County, <laughs> but, uh, Sadly, yeah, that may become necessary, right? Yeah, yeah. And there was a part of my letter that I took out that advised her that, you know, if she did come from County, I would hold her down. Because it's not something we want. We don't want to arrest people. We'd rather have them obey the law. For sure, yeah. Well, uh, in fact, Sheriff Bowen, um, this has gone on a long time. Uh, the tyranny uh, that we're fighting in America uh, it seemed to take, uh, it had a reprieve during the four years of Trump, where Trump was uh, not forcing vaccinations, not forcing masks, setting up guidelines. Uh, he had uh, security at the border. Uh, he had the economy, uh, its best almost in American history. Uh, so now we're going back the other way. We're going back to the Jimmy Carter days of uh, inflation and government regulations and more government spending, tax, borrow, spend, tax, borrow, spend. Uh, and, and all of these are things are falling apart. People are really getting frustrated out there that there's no place to go. And what by that, I mean, if, if they're being oppressed by government, who can they turn to, uh, especially locally, uh, for peace, safety, protection and liberty. And I wrote a book called The County Sheriff, America's Last Hope. And I asked that same question posed by Thomas Jefferson. When all government shall be drawn to Washington as the center of all power, it will render powerless the checks provided, in other words, the Constitution, and become as venal and oppressive as the government from which we separated, talking about Britain and King George III. So, a lot of people, and this just came out um, on some major national networks, and I get this, I get asked this all the time. 
can we keep this fight? Can we keep this a cold fight for freedom? Can we keep this fight peaceful? Uh, and I have always maintained this, and I want to know your response to this. I have said, if the sheriffs of this country stand with their people and interpose on their behalf to protect them from government oppression, it will remain peaceful. If the sheriffs don't get involved, I don't see how it could ever remain peaceful. And I'm the most peaceful person you've ever met. I've never shot anybody. I've never beat anybody up. I never even slugged anybody the 20 years I was in law enforcement. And I did a lot of work on patrol. And so my point is, I beg for peace in this country. However, I my honest belief is if the sheriffs don't get involved, it will not remain peaceful. And I want to hear your comments about that. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's just like this last stimulus coming around. I mean, they're 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 feeding the bear. Uh, when I say they, I mean the Biden administration. They keep they they they're, they're creating this huge problem. And um, it, you know, there's all types of theories out there of why it's going this way, what they're doing. Um, you know, you can look at it and see. You know, it, when when we're dependent on our government, um, you know, that's that's right where they want us to be. Uh, I would agree with you 100%. I am the most peaceful human being that I know of. Um, I avoid confrontation, uh, but there comes a time that I mentioned earlier that when it, when it's in your living room, when it's in the individual's living room, when it truly affects that person, you know, we've we've spent years and years and years of looking the other way, being politically correct. You know, what that person does doesn't bother me. You know, what they say, you know, I'll let them have their opinion. You know, whatever that may be, and and we've become a nation of. Oh, I'm going to watch my tongue here, but the the sheep. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and and. I'll agree with you, you know, unless we stand up and do something and we do it peaceably and amicable and, and, and the leaders in each individual county and state stand up and say this is not acceptable and I'm speaking for the majority of my constituents and the people and our children, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it could work out. However, if we continue down this path and you have the group of citizens that feels that they're left alone and they have no answers and they have nobody to stand up for them, uh, they're going to take it into their own, own hands. And the reason, the reason that the county sheriff is so critical in America's last hope, ladies and gentlemen, is because if you get the people together in groups, but they don't have a tie to legitimate government and elected authority, what you've got is a shadow government or what they will claim an insurrection. And you know what? I understand that when society breaks down at some point, that may be necessary, but we're not there yet. As long as we have officials that have their consent from the people, we the people, giving our consent, that's how they get their derived authority and power. If we work through the channels that we elect, then we can. Uh, this can be peaceful because we have an appropriate tie to government. The sheriff can deputize who he would like to. The sheriff can create councils and groups and people uh, to maintain law and order and peace and stability uh, in a society. And that's why it's our last hope, because we have got to work through legitimate channels. And sadly, a lot of people are so confused, they're giving up on that option. But we need to dovetail the solutions with the legitimate proper role of government. We need to do so in the most civil manner we can. That's what we're leading with, Sheriff. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Well, uh, Sheriff Bowen, I, I've got to tell you also, uh, I've always had uh, accusations leveled against me. 
one of them is, is that I only care about money and that I'm all about making sheriffs uh, members, uh, dues paying members in the CSPOA. Have you ever received such a request from me? I have not. No. Have we I ever? Have. I don't think we've ever even met until today, right? No, sir. And have, have you ever received emails from CSPOA that you should become a member? And then if you do, that will help you and blah, 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 blah. Not a one. No. Never got that, did you? Nope. You see, Sheriff, you see, what, what we really like and what I really like and appreciate about what you've done is that you've done this on your own because it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> that is exactly why I wanted you on the show, because I want to show America that sheriffs are doing this on their own and that it's not because of me. It's because they're doing the right thing and that they're analyzing what's going on in our country. Yes, we we provide the training and we still hope that you'll come to one of our training uh, seminars because it's all it is is an education in the oath of office and how we truly serve uh, our people. Uh, I hope you do that. But again, whether or not you become a member, I don't care. That's up to you. What I am after in America is exactly what Sheriff Cody Bowen has shown America and his people what a good constitutional sheriff is, what a, just a good sheriff is. We don't have to add constitutional to it. What a good sheriff is and does, and that is stands for liberty, has the courage to stand and protect his citizens just as he promised to do when he took his oath. That is all we're after, and we're glad that you're a part of that. And I hope that this catches fire all across the country. And like you say, 34 out of 36 sheriffs, that is fantastic. Um, the sheriffs in Texas are on fire right now with Standing for Liberty, and we hope that that happens in Oregon uh, because of the example that you've set here. And we pray that the sheriffs and the people will stand unitedly together and that the sheriffs of this country will stand united in the holy cause of liberty. And that, my friends, is exactly what we're after at CSPOA, and we've never asked Sheriff Bowen to be a member. We're not going to ask him to be a member. What we'll ask him to do is to keep doing this great work. Thank you so much, Sheriff Bowen, for doing exactly what you're doing. Your response. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I told me. I talked to my wife. I just want to know that I'm doing the right thing, and I want to stand up when, when nobody else will stand up and and do the right thing. At the end of the day, I'll be able to put my head down at the end of my term. If I don't make it another term, you know, I, I will walk away knowing that I stood for what I believed in. And I chose a line and uh, I tried to do what was right for the people. Ladies and gentlemen, the CSPOA is an organization of citizens. And our goal as citizens is to rewrite the song. And now it's called I Back the Sheriff. Our goal, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is to truly support sheriffs as they keep their oaths of office and defend we the people. And we want to work together peacefully to accomplish these goals. The CSPOA is a group of Americans across the country who back their sheriffs, and it's a training organization to help all officials understand their oaths of office, understand the checks and balances that created the greatest country on the face of the earth, Sheriff Bowen. And before we let you go, I also want to give a big shout out to Tish, your wife, 
because we know that it takes two to make this happen, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I am nothing without her. Well, that certainly happened. That happened in my case. Uh, it was actually my wife who made the final decision for me to file the lawsuit against the Clinton administration. Uh, if she had said no, there's no way I would have done it, Sheriff Bowen. There's no way it would have happened. She, she, if she would have just said, look, it took us everything to get this job, and now you just want to walk away from it and, yes. and, and, and fight the Clintons, and you're not, and you're not going to win? And are you crazy? Go golfing. Go do something else. But you can't do this lawsuit. And, and, she, and she never said anything of the sort. And she was totally supportive. And, and I want to reiterate this. If she had said no, this would have never happened. But I'm so grateful to her. It's like she was raised to be my wife. And, and I do want to say this, I will appeal, as Sam alluded to, I will appeal to the people in your county, to the people in America, to join the CSPOA and help us stay funded. Join the posse. Be, go to CSPOA.org. There it is, CSP, CSPOA.org. Join the posse. Become a member. Make a donation, whatever you can do. But I am not saying that to Sheriff Bowen. I'm saying that to the people who support this organization, who have made this organization work for the last 11 years. And it's this result that we have today that we support, that we absolutely brag about, not us, him. We brag and we give the credit to the good sheriffs who stand like the sheriffs who in Utah, 29 of them wrote a letter to the president of the United States saying there'd be no gun control in any of their counties there. And the CSPOA is not just about gun rights and the Second Amendment. We're about all of them. There's about 28 God-given rights detailed in the Bill of Rights that government cannot touch. And now we have a sheriff defending that, and that is exactly what we're about. That is exactly what we want. We applaud you, Sheriff Bowen. Thank you very much. And any last comments, we want to hear them now. But thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Well, thanks again for having me. Yeah, no, I, no more comments from me. Um, just I have one question. Will it be a showdown between you and the governor? What's going to happen when push comes to shove, Sheriff? <laughs> well, uh, you know, my, my daddy always told me, you know, treat a lady with respect no matter who she is. So I will try <laughs> wow. my best to be respectful. But, uh, yeah, when it comes All right, to... I, I still give a shout-out to, to Governor Kate Brown, though. If she wants to come on the TV with us, we'll be civil. We'll treat her like a lady. Uh, but we'll dig into the reality of jurisdiction and the reality of the checks and balances right here on your TV. So make sure she knows that open invitation is available, Sheriff. Absolutely. I still haven't gotten a response from this letter, so I, I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Again, Sheriff, thanks for being with us. We appreciate all the sheriffs across America who are standing for liberty. Sheriff Bowen is by no means the only one doing this. There's hundreds of sheriffs doing this nationwide. God bless these sheriffs. Uh, and thank you so much again. Give our best to Tish. And you guys have a, a, a great hunt out there and have fun this week. And uh, enjoy your families. Sam? And would love, would love to get your sheriffs and your deputies and everybody else in the training program in addition to you, Sheriff. So uh, what the citizens do is help us fund the training programs that we're doing all across the country to help uh, those understand who we are, what we stand for, from the position of a constitutional sheriff right on through to helping all public officials keep their oaths of office. 
I just want to make it clear who we are and what we do at the CSPOA. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you, guys. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, flat out of time. You are watching the Sheriff Mac Show, TV for archives every Tuesday morning on your screen. As a parent, is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. As the United States boldly stepped forward in the glorious light provided by its new constitution in 1787, the nations of the earth were in awe of the newfound strength and hope of this free land. Today, the nation stands at a crossroads. A divergence from the original intent put forth in the United States Constitution has brought grave threats to our beloved nation. A miracle is needed if the United States is to survive. That miracle is again the pure application of the United States Constitution. I'm Scott Bradley. In my To Preserve the Nation book and lecture series, I bring forth truths that will help raise up a new generation of statesmen like those noble Americans who founded this land. Vigorous application of these principles will invigorate and restore the nation, and we may become again the freest, most prosperous, most respected, and happiest nation on earth. Visit topreservethenation.com to begin that restoration. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bushman on your radio uh, this hour, simulcast with Brideon.tv. Archives will be up at Brideon if you want the video, at LibertyRoundtable.com and LovingLiberty.net if you want the audio. Incredible interview with Sheriff Cody Bowen, doing a great job, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he's uh, from Union County, Oregon, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Union, Union County Sheriff sends a letter to Governor Brown in response to the mask and vaccine mandates recently enacted by the Oregon governor. I submit without authority. Okay, the governor has no authority to mandate that stuff. Where's the legislative body, first of all, ladies and gentlemen? All right. But he then uh, really articulates in his letter, and I've got some of this down in my show notes. It's really good. Uh, he starts out saying, let's have an open dialogue. And I agree. And so we invited her uh, on TV, as you know. She probably won't take us up on it, but hey, we're the ones putting the olive branch forward. Let's be clear who's who, okay? Uh, secondarily, though, let's be clear. Here's what he says. We will raise our children how we see fit. We will choose to wear a mask or choose not to wear a mask. We will choose to get vaccinated or not. Your mindless dictates will no longer be tolerated. 
Sheriff Cody Bowen. I mean, you just got to dig it, man. It's just a great uh, open letter. Really explaining, you know what? His position. And his position is simply, you don't have authority, Governor. You simply do not have authority to do what you're doing, right? That's important to understand that, you know what? Who's challenging these jurisdictions? I know we are on the radio quite a bit. We are on TV quite a bit, me and Sheriff Richard Mack and several other constitutional uh, advocates and hosts and et cetera. But you know what? Sheriffs are standing up boldly, nobly, and independently saying, listen, you're not doing this, right? Your mindless dictates will no longer be tolerated. I think that's really, really important, folks, because it shows who's who. It shows where he stands. He's challenging her authority. He's challenging her jurisdiction. And I think it's really wise that he is. I think it's really important that he is. Because somebody, somewhere, besides some constitutional talk show hosts like ourselves, somebody in government needs to literally say, wait a minute, now, you're treading on my jurisdiction. You're out of line, Governor. You're out of line, President, we're not going to accept this. We're not doing it this way. And so I really commend Sheriff Cody Bowen for really standing up here and making this an important uh, effort. Because really, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's why um, Sheriff Mack wrote the book, The County Sheriff of America's Last Hope. That's why I don't sign up for many organizations, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. But I have signed up for the CSPOA as a lifetime member. I believe in the cause. I believe in the solutions. I believe in the efforts of Sheriff Mack and of the CSPOA. Because that's where we're making a difference. We're backing those sheriffs who take a stand. Who say, wait, you know what? This isn't about Sheriff Bowen. This isn't about Sam Bushman. This isn't about CSPOA. This isn't about Governor Brown. This is about the law, the supreme law of the land, even the Constitution for the United States of America. This is about the rule of law. This is not checks and balances. This is about what made America great. And this is about what's going to keep America great, ladies and gentlemen, if we allow it to. All right, Brady on TV, guest, Union County, Oregon Sheriff Cody Bowen doing a phenomenal job sending a letter to Governor Brown in response to the actions taken by the governor. You know what? Your mindless dictates will no longer be tolerated. Amen. Archives of the Brighty on TV show simulcast with Liberty Roundtable Live available at brighteon.tv and libertyroundtable.com, ladies and gentlemen. Spread the word. Spread the word. Tell the tale of liberty, would you please? I am Sam Bushman, and I declare we the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, we can and will restore America. But you got to get involved. Make it a great day and choose the right, William. This nation shall endure. LovingLiberty.net. God save the republic.